Hello everyone, this is JPL, and today I'm joined with Matthew here. And, and Kat. Yes, and we are podcast name in brackets. We're here for our um our annual discussion of the top five movies of the year. Today we'll be talking about our top five movies of twenty twenty one. Yeah. Quite quite the year. Yes. I haven't seen as many movies this year as I usually do. Um only 70 instead of the usual 100. All um, right. I think I brought a good list in today. I've seen For... more movies than I normally do. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So, yeah, this I, I enjoyed this year more because of all the pushbacks of 2020 were mostly brought into this year. Um, and so there's a long selection of goodies for me to choose from. Uh, so yeah, why don't we start with you, Matthew, with our number five? Okay, so my number five is a movie that I saw early on in the year, and I don't know, it, it kind of just stayed in my top. Um, it's not the most artistically deep movie, but it's just a lot of fun, and that is Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar. Um and so it's about, it's a comedy, like a very wacky, zany comedy about two women who, they get fired from their job, and so they decide to take a vacation to Vista Del Mar and just have a bunch of wacky hikes. And then there's a crazy sub um, that sort of takes over the story, but I don't want to spoil what that is. That was this year? Yes, yes, that was in, I believe, February. Oh, okay. I thought that was last year. Um, yeah, I mean, I've seen the trailers. It looked goofy. Definitely not something that would interest me to go and see it. But I, I know that you've been joking about that being our relationship. Um, yeah. it, it, it's, I didn't think I would like it either. Um, but then it was just such a, like, fun time to watch um yeah i just had a blast and it kind of just throws everything at the wall and most of it sticks and yeah just a really wacky zany fun time any thoughts scott i haven't seen it i've seen the trailer and it looked pretty interesting but <laughs> don't know much about it besides that Yes. Well, that at least I heard of this one. And I've seen a trailer, at least. <laughs> Good on you, Matthew. You're improving in my eyes. <laughs> All right. On to you, Kat. Okay, so my number five is a Korean movie called Space Sweepers. Mm. So it's about these guys who, take, who like, basically take out junk from uh, space and sell it. And then they find this girl who's apparently a robot that is has a huge bomb in her and might destroy the world. So then they go off to save the world. Kind of, not really. They go off to make money and end up saving the world. <laughs> yeah, I saw bits and pieces of the trailer for it. and it, The visual effects look very high quality and yeah, just kind of a an interesting sci-fi type film. Yeah. Another interesting thing is that they have at least four different languages in it. Okay. And so, yeah, they have English, uh, Korean, of course, Spanish, and then I think they have a pidgin language in there, too. So, 
in an age where everyone wears a translator so you can speak whatever language you want. And the annoying thing that Netflix does is on Netflix, but for the English, when people are speaking English, they don't have subtitles, <laughs> which is annoying. Because <laughs> they're like, you know English, we don't need subtitles for that, but I like watching with subtitles anyway, so. Right, yeah. But yeah, this... I thought the story was very entertaining and the visuals are cool, so. I mean, the concept that you just told us just sounds like a sounds like a weird idea. <laughs> I probably didn't describe it very well either. No, it, it sounds like the story of an anime. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like yeah. it's your pilot episode. <laughs> I don't know. I've not heard of this one. I've not seen it clearly because I haven't heard of it. But yeah, <laughs> sounds chaotic. Interesting, neat idea with space trash, but yeah. Any final thoughts on that one? It's good. Recommend it. Okay. On to my number five. Uh, I didn't mention this briefly, but yes. Uh, how these numbers go? We start with our five, and we go down the list. We just demonstrated how that works briefly. Um, but at the end, we'll talk about our least favorites and then what we're most anticipated for the next year. But yes, for my number five, uh, I put it in the bottom of the list here just because I, I needed to uh, mention this one. And this was, of course, My Little Pony, A New Generation. This is the Netflix film that's 3D animated, which uh, serves as the, of course, the new generation of ponies. Uh, the main one that Bronies are known for. That series ended a couple years ago. So yeah, they're starting the brand new thing. Um, I saw it. I, I thought the movie was cute. Uh, it had some interesting ideas. Uh, however, it's a very flawed film. There's lots of just issues with plot holes. And it really comes down to context of the previous series beforehand because this is meant to be a continuation many years in the future however it just ignores everything that the show built up and just it's just very confusing when you go into this after years of all this stuff so there's still a lot of work for it to answer many questions to delve into but it's it's cute you know, it's got some nice characters, but yeah, it's it's a start. Not the best of the year. Not terrible, but it's it's fine. It's cute. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I, I've seen the trailer for it. I was hoping to watch it so I could bring in some intelligent thoughts to this podcast because I assumed it would be on your list, but mm. again, I didn't quite make it to see all of the movies I wanted to see. Um, right. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that much about the My Little Pony franchise, but it certainly looks cute and colorful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you you don't really need to watch the show to really get into this movie, uh, which is, I think, what they're trying to do. But if you did watch the show, it, it's just, it's a chaotic mess. Like, nothing makes sense. Like, it's all different. It doesn't work. It's 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 strange, but um, hopefully there is some logic to it once the actual show for this series starts. So, 
Yes, that's my thing. Any other thoughts you want to share? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I, since I'm not a, I haven't seen the series, I might enjoy it more than you did, ironically. Um, I don't know if you would, but we'll see. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know if I'll see it, but if I do, we'll have to talk about it on the pod at some point. Right. Well, uh, that means we're on to our number four of the year. Yeah. Um, so my number four is maybe a bit of a controversial movie. Um, okay. But it's one that um, I hope you have your hats and sunglasses and swimsuits because we're about to visit the beach that makes you old. Okay. Obviously, I'm talking about M. Night Shyamalan's movie Old, which is, as I just implied, about a beach that makes you old. Um, the, the basic concept is it's a bunch of characters end up on this beach where every 30 minutes that passes, they age a year um and so it's all about like the well obviously there's like a lot of horror and like dread about like growing old and then different like specific medical conditions or things that are arising um but then there what what i found was interesting about it and what i wasn't expecting going in is that it's also about like sort of the beauty of growing old together with people who you love um and so so it ends up being very profound and it has a lot of ideas about like the difference between how kids and adults think and how does that develop over time and because of the press can do all of this in like a very short time span and kind of go through all of the different stages of life um i think the ending, this is an M. Night Shyamalan movie, so obviously there's a twist, and I think the twist ending is a bit controversial. It bothered me a lot the first time I saw the movie, um, but then I watched it again, and it didn't bother me as much. Um, but yeah, the, the rest of the movie is... it's It's got some weird dialogue, some weird acting choices, but it's also just like a very interesting concept and done in a really interesting way. like the place is the opposite of neverland yes yes it's a it's it's a very like and and it's also just like a beautifully shot and blocked movie there's a lot of like shots where all of the actors in the movie are like in the same shot or it'll be a long take like going between them and all of their different reactions and and yeah it's just a very very like strange concept but executed in a very meaningful way well i've heard of this movie you've talked to it about it a lot to me you've sent me so many strange memes about it it's (laughs) you were just you just really enjoyed the funny nature of this film i saw a couple trailers of it I wasn't really intrigued by it. Um, the idea, the concept is intriguing, but like from the small stuff that I saw, I I wasn't really sure about it. I It's not really on the top of my priority to watch list. It, it might be one of those things that I could probably watch years down the line. 
if it just yeah, shows up somewhere. Um, but yeah, it's not something I consider priority. I, I'm not against it. I, I think that there is something about it. But yeah, I've heard about it. I've seen trailers, but um, I wasn't enthralled from it. And I think I think the trailers for this one do a very bad job selling what the movie actually is. Specifically, in that they give away a lot of the like best moments, um, which is why I'm also being kind of like careful of how much I say about the movie on mm-hmm. um, specific details. But yeah, it, it's a movie that I went in. You know, I, I watched it a few months after it had come out. I had seen all of the like critics trashing it um but then when i actually sat down and watched it i was like oh there's a lot going on here that people aren't talking about that's really interesting i don't like horror so it's like (laughs) not even on my radar but it does sound like there's a lot of interesting concepts explored so yeah but it is it does lean into horror um Mm -hmm. there are several scenes that are which yeah a PG-13, so it isn't as, like, gory as it could be, but it is very intense. And I'm not naturally allergic to horror as well. Yeah. Alright, any other thoughts on that? Go go and see it if it sounds interesting, and avoid trailers if you can. (laughs) (laughs) Don't trust the trailers. I mean, it's months old, so there shouldn't be any trailers left. Anyway, Cat. Okay, so my number four is The Green Knight. And this is a piece of slow cinema. I will admit, when I watched it, I thought it was really slow, but I do really appreciate watching it. So it's the story of The Green Knight from the King Arthur tales. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I thought it was really interesting. And it really makes you think a lot while you're watching films. So... Even though I don't remember a whole lot from the film, I do remember liking it. And I remember just, this was the one film that helped me appreciate slow cinema. So that's why it's on my top list here. Okay. Yeah, and we saw it together in a theater. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. And it, it's the kind of movie you want to see in the theater because it's the kind of movie where if you're at home on your couch, it's like, it's easy to get distracted. small and yeah, yeah, you feel like, oh, I'm a bit bored. Let me pull out your phone. But then you miss all of the, like, cool themes and concepts and different ideas. And it's also, like, a very beautiful film. It's a fantasy, but done on a lower budget and with, like, different concepts. It doesn't feel like any other fantasy film out there. Uh Uh-huh. Right. I mean, I'm familiar with the story because I, I believe we all took a British literature class where we had to read Sir Gawain and the Reed Knights, is, is this true? Yes. I, I've read it, yeah. Yeah. Yes. And so when I heard that this thing was coming, I was intrigued, and uh, I was like, oh, cool, they're adapting this story. But then the trailer came out, and I was pretty disappointed in just the overall look of the film. Uh Whenever I imagine the Green Knight story, I always picture it as something a little bit more colorful. And when I, I saw the trailer, when I just saw how drab and, just, I, I guess, realistic and uh, dull everything looked, it just 
it dissuaded me from getting more interested into this film. So, which is a bummer because I, I thought this is an interesting tale that not many people really think of today. Yeah, and it is. I mean, it is a darker take on the story. Right. Yeah. And part part of that is just like the budget. They don't have the money for like big, colorful CGI, so they rely a lot on like practical sets and practical costumes. Um, but it is also sort of tonally, it's sort of questioning these ideas of like fate and sort of nihilism and what do, you, what is what is a person's purpose um, as sort of they make their own way in the world rather than simply following their parents' path. Right. Right, which is an interesting idea, but again, I do think visuals are one thing that you have to keep in mind when you're trying to sell a product because... Some people may only be attracted by the visual appeal of it, and if it looks dull, um, then people might not be that interested in, into it, unless you rely on some other factor to bring them into it. I will say, I think the visuals kind of match the story, so in that way it's good, because if you don't like the visuals, you might not like how it's how the story itself is presented, you might not like the movie as a whole, so yeah, I would recommend, if it looks interesting definitely go see it and be away from any distractions so that you'll actually watch it all right yeah <laughs> doesn't look interesting don't feel like you have to go out of your way mm-hmm. uh which then i'll go on to my number four and uh this one is Zack snyder's justice league now i really enjoyed this film uh mainly because i i had been wanting to see what this film would have looked like for a few years now. I know we did a podcast episode on this one, so you can go check that out. But yeah, Zack Snyder's Justice League. I I enjoyed it mainly in that it felt like a much more consistent film to what was previously established in the other movies. It felt like a unified vision by one man's vision, his idea. And it had a lot better action sequences, a little, a lot more moments for characters that I was surprised had those moments. It's not a perfect film. Um, there's definitely some questionable aspects to it, but overall, I enjoyed it. I, yeah, I enjoyed it. I, I liked what I saw in this, and I was happy to finally get this film, um, and not have to wonder what it looked like. Yeah, uh, I was on the podcast about this as well. If you, if any of our audience hasn't listened to it yet, you can check that out for more in-depth thoughts for both of us. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, it, it's a lot better than the Justice League that we got in 2017. Mm-hmm. And, and as someone who didn't like Batman versus Superman, I actually liked the what Zack Snyder did with the Justice League. I think it was kind of a good compromise between his vision in Batman versus Superman and sort of the more heroic outlook on the world that right. are known for. It is, it is too long. It's um, four hours long. Four hours. And it, it You could cut 30 minutes 
easily out of there. But I, I'm not complaining because and it's it's the extended edition, so obviously I think you can't extended delay for the sort of the length. But it, it was as a viewing experience. I think if I had taken it like an hour at a time, I might have appreciated the scope of it more without worrying so much about you know why are we spending three minutes on a Icelandic choir singing while a woman sniffs Aquaman's shirt. <laughs> yep. As someone who hasn't seen that, that just sounds really weird. <laughs> it, is. it was pretty weird, but it was entertaining in, in the weird factor as well. Uh, but yeah. Um, I, I will say that, that the film is much better if you understand the history behind it um, and the controversy which happened with the Josh Whedon version. Um, or, I don't know. For me, I was satisfied after years of wanting to see what it looked like, and now we finally saw it, and it's like, yeah, okay, this is good. I, I prefer this one. So, yeah, it's my, it's my number four. Not my favorite version of these characters, Except maybe Batman. But, yeah. I mean, it's it's neat to see this side to it. Yeah. Uh, and on to our, our number threes. Yeah, so um, I'm going to actually stick in the DC wheelhouse right now. Um, because my number three is the Suicide Squad. Okay. This is, of course, the... the 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 at the beginning of the of the title is very important here. Um, th- this is after the sort of critical reception to the original Suicide Squad in 2016 was mixed to say the least. Um, War- Warner Brothers brought in James Gunn, who previously did the Guardians of the Galaxy movies, and basically gave him free reign to tell whatever story he wanted with no restraints and you know for someone who didn't like guardians of the galaxy either of them i was blown away by this um it's it's weird and like every everything you want from a comedy version of a suicide squad movie it's super violent um very very like full of like weird stuff going on but then there's also a surprising amount of heart and you really care about the characters, even the characters you don't think you would care about going in. I mean, two of my favorite new characters in it are Ratcatcher 2 and Polka Dot Man, who were characters like no one cares about them in the comics, but James Gunn found a way to sort of make them compelling here. Mm-hmm. When I watched this movie too. I actually hadn't seen the poster, so that that twist at the beginning, <laughs> with that first mission thing, that that actually took me by surprise, and it was a fun ride from there on. You know, you and I have talked about this briefly, and not on a podcast, but just in conversation. And I don't, I. Uh, for me, what really brought this down for me was like all the gore, and of course, you know me, I 
I wasn't really a fan. I'm not really a fan of the Suicide Squad in general because I don't feel like they've portrayed them in a satisfying way. Um, because I keep it just. I don't like the portrayal of most of these characters. I'm going to leave it at that. And let's move on. (laughs) Sounds good. So, my top three was uh, Matrix Resurrections. So, this one came out pretty recently. (laughs) And... It's the fourth Matrix movie, and I was surprised at how good it was. Because normally you expect, oh, fourth in a series that's made years after the last one. Probably not super great, but it was actually really good. Yeah, I'm probably going to comment a bit more on this later, so I'll save a lot of my thoughts. Um, But yeah, it's a really fun movie to see in the theater. I think I think it works well as ho- at home as well, and just surprisingly detailed. And you know, we had like a long conversation afterwards about like what it all meant and different ideas that the film brought up. And you know, that that's sometimes the fun of seeing a good movie is being able to when there's enough enough depth there that you can talk about it afterwards. Yeah, I still haven't seen it. Uh, When they announced it, I wasn't really interested. I I felt like the story was fine by the end of the third one, even though there are some issues with that. Um, And from what I saw in the trailer, I just there wasn't really anything that caught my eye. It just it looked a lot like everything we've seen before, and there wasn't really much new to really grab my attention to it. also having to note that there was the uh, recasting of Lawrence Fishburne as a uh, Morpheus and yeah I just I don't really know about the story or what really goes on in the film like maybe that's a better thing but for me I'm not really I don't really care too much about the matrix so I I didn't really care to see it mhm yeah I feel like you also can't go in expecting an action movie. There's a heavier focus on story and characters, but mm-hmm. also there weren't any like twists I was surprised by or things like that. But they, they comment on some interesting themes. But yeah, the story itself isn't super original. Which the, the story is even very upfront about. Yeah, it, basically it's not trying to be original, but story-wise. Yeah, it's trying to tell... A satisfying story um and the, the matrix series has always been built on sort of the tropes of the hero's journey um and so the this film doesn't like try to step away from it but it kind of recontextualizes all of the the whole series in an interesting way so yeah anyway i thought it was it was a really fun movie to watch and it was really good for being a sequel, too, definitely. So, Okay. Well, uh, let's move on to my number three, 
which was uh, Batman The Long Halloween. Now, this is a two-part movie. However, because it's the same story, and I'm pretty sure they'll likely release it into a deluxe edition or sell the movie with the two parts later on, I, I, I'm featuring it as a one-movie thing. Uh, this is two, anima- two animated movies based upon the comic book uh, books, the graphic novel of the same name. It's a, it's a mystery of a killer who kills on holidays and uh, Batman, he's trying to figure out the mystery. I, I really enjoyed it. I, I really liked how this film, these films took their time to set up the characters, set up their relationship and to set up how the stakes could run and go. Um, I've not read the comic book but I was really intrigued by the story they told. I do know that the the reveal of the villain, the, the, the big baddie at the end, is a bit of a plot twist because they don't go with the comic book ending, which on one hand can be like, oh, it's not accurate, and I, I, I want to see the accuracy. But on the other hand, it subverts your expectations and does it in a way where I felt like it makes sense. Um, it can be predictable um, if you really just think outside the box and just point at something. Be like, you know what? I'm going to look at that person. There's nothing on them. And let's just say that's the case. Um, and I really like that there's so much subtext and just visual hints that tell you the story that they don't elaborate on, which I think is super neat that they, you know, they actually do something because a lot, of, a lot of situations they're gonna point out every single thing, but here, you know, the audience gets the chance to be the detective and look at certain things and be like, hey, that's a thing that makes sense, or hey, that thing, that's a thing that could happen. Um, I, I will say the one disappointment that I have is that every time they show the silhouette of the killer or show him on screen, they 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 use a deceptive animation model where they make the character look like someone else uh. when the character is actually not that, which I hate. It, it It's cheap, and it's just... It doesn't... That is one of the things that doesn't allow the audience to guess who it is. It's just like, oh, that's clearly reusing that character model. That's but then, yeah. Yeah, and so when it's actually revealed, it's like, oh, they look nothing like that. Um, but no, the story was intriguing. Um, the only real negatives I can uh, say about it was that one little thing with the, with the killer. But also in how... They try to connect this story with their new established universe that they're trying to do. Um, that's set with the Reign of Superman, uh, their Rebirth series. And y- the story is like stylized like in the 40s with the Mafia series. And then we get to a point in the second movie where one of the characters just pulls out their cell phone, their, their iPhone... It's just like, what, what? 
that doesn't look like everything else. The Joker picked up a phone that was clearly from the 40s, and now that person has a cell phone? What? And it's one of those things to further establish that it's part of the university. I don't really like how that looks. I think the story works better as a solo thing, but they tried to make it part of a larger universe, which is fine, I guess. But yeah, I really enjoy the story. I'd highly recommend it. It's not for the faint of heart, but it's an interesting adaptation of this popular story. Yeah, I, I've seen the first part, and then I'm actually reading through the graphic novel before I read the second part. And it, it's interesting that for being the star of detective comics, Batman doesn't usually get to do a lot of detective stuff. So to have an entire, well, two films dedicated to him being a detective and actually have a mystery where the audience doesn't know which supervillain is behind it from the very beginning um it, it makes for a really compelling story that, that feels different from any other batman story i've read um mm-hmm. or seen but it, but it is also i mean it, a lot of batman media is pulling from it as an inspiration i think yeah Knight is very clearly pulling from it and um, I, I'm assuming the new Matt Reeves, the Batman film, is going to be drawing quite heavily from it. Um, right. Yeah, yeah. It's great to finally have it. You know, most of the major Batman comics have been adapted to animated films. So now to have this one as well be accessible to a new audience. And that they that they made it to film, so you actually spend time on the mystery rather than trying to condense it into like two hours yeah before this movie the other uh comic book stories that were set in two films were um the dark knight returns and then the death of superman which is kind of a different adaptation of the story but it still sort of counts with how they do that story and i personally love it when they do the two story because a lot of times when they do just the one uh, 90 minute maybe even just 70 minute movies it, it feels rushed and not as uh polished but when you do the two-part story it just it looks nicer and it's just told better and i like it when they do that but it, of course you can't do that for every story and um yeah yeah it, it's definitely worth checking out if you're a Batman fan, if you enjoy mysteries, um, yeah, it, it's or or if you're excited, can't wait for the new movie coming out next year. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's a great, great thing to pass the time while you wait, and you also kind of get to experience a classic Batman story. Yes, and on that, we're going to move on to our number two. Yeah, so my second film is actually available on Netflix right now, if my description of it sounds interesting. And it is a psychological thriller western um, called Power of the Dog, directed by Jane Campion, who's a legendary New Zealand director. Um, This is her first feature film in 12 years, and the first of hers that I've seen, although it's 
sort of inspired me to want to go back and visit some of her past work. Um, and this follows sort of a woman and her son as they are sort of terrorized by um, this cowboy played by Benedict Cumberbatch um, in in the Wild West. Um, and that, that might sound like a difficult movie to sit through for, I believe it's two and a half hours, but there is, you know, halfway through the story twists in a very interesting way that I'm not going to reveal. Um, but but it isn't, you know, a, there there's a lot of, even though it sounds like a miserable movie, there's also a lot of interesting emotional things going on. Um, and yeah, it's it's a great lesson in visual storytelling. Um, there's a lot of ambiguity and everyone's going to have a different experience with it, depending on how much you pick up from the visual cues versus how much you pick up from the dialogue. So yeah, it, it's it's a really great kind of psychological film. Um, and then it also has some really great performances. I think it's the best performance I've seen from Benedict Cumberbatch. You also have Kirsten Dunst as the woman and Cody Smith McPhee as her son. And then Jesse Plemons as um, the brother of Benedict Cumberbatch's character. And there's just a really interesting dynamic between all of the cast members. They all have very different personas and the film uses those personas very interestingly to create character drama. I have not heard of this one, so I can't say anything about it. Same. <laughs> it's an Oscar frontrunner. Mm-hmm. I'm not pulling this out of nowhere like I sometimes do. <laughs> okay. Uh, I guess since we don't... Any, any final thoughts on that, Matthew? Um, it, It's worth watching. Um, Again, it's on Netflix right now. So if it at all sounds interesting... It's worth checking out if you get the chance. Okay. It's a very, the less you know going in, the better, because there's a lot of, like, surprises along the way. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, So my number two is The Rescue. And this Mm, is a documentary film. Probably a lot of people have heard about it. I actually saw this in a film festival, so that was really cool. Um, so yeah, it's about the story of the soccer team that gets stuck in a cave and then trying to rescue them from it. And it's a documentary, uh, but it's filmed almost like a movie. It almost plays like a movie with how it's filmed and edited and all of that. Mm-hmm. So some of the film I think is original footage, but some of it is redone later on. So very cleverly redone, where you can't even tell half the time. You cannot tell at all, and it looks really cool the whole time. So yeah. Yes, yeah. if you want to check this film out, it is on Disney Plus. Yeah, and it, it's worth watching. Um, the like Cat was saying, the documentary filmmaking. Usually, when you think documentaries, you think of sort of like oh, the kind of thing you would watch in history class and half fall asleep to. This is very well paced and well edited, mm-hmm. so you never get bored with it. Um, 
and and it's telling the story specifically from the side of the people enacting the rescue mission Mm -hmm. Um, so there's a lot of attention paid to like what were the strategies used why did these people have the skills that they had to pull this off just how incredible of a feat it was to get all of this done and then also like Kat was saying the the footage of it is stunning and you have like these you feel like the cave diving there's a lot of claustrophobia with that um and the cinematography kind of puts you in that so so you get like tense moments as well um and it makes the triumph of the end of the film so much better that you have like these tense moments throughout yeah it's better if you don't actually know the actual event it's based on um so that you can have the tense moments behind it Uh and i will say i will do want to mention too that even though there's a lot of tension in the situation the drama did uh, the drama the documentary didn't play that up as much as they could have so no i have a friend who didn't want to see it because he's like i think it'll be too like tense for me too much like tension in there but really they didn't and obviously the situation is tense, so you can't just have no tension, but they didn't play that up for dramatic effect. Yeah, it's not in the lies. So, yeah, that was really nice to see, I think. Yes. Made from the same people who made Free Solo. Yes, which is another very excellent documentary worth seeing. Also, also on- Disney Plus, yes. Yeah. <laughs> you could do a double feature. It, it would make for an interesting double feature. Um, I, I did do that, yes. Yeah, the... It, and the rescue is just so interesting in how mm-hmm. it uses the language of documentaries to tell a story that, I mean, I'm sure a lot of us remember the story, and then also it's told in such a compelling way. Oh, yes. Um, one thing to note for you people who want to watch it, you will have to be reading a lot of subtitles because a lot of the dialogue is from people of that country, which is... In Myanmar, Burma, Thailand. Thailand, yeah, I think Thailand. Thailand. Okay, so in that area, so there are some English elements when the British divers come in, but it's mostly in uh, with the Thailand people speaking over it. So keep that in mind when you're watching. Which I guess we move on to my number two. Okay, so my number two was a film that I had been waiting years on since 2014 when they first announced it. And this is, of course, Godzilla vs. Kong. I love Godzilla. I I loved all the movies that they've done. I just, I love the monster fights. It's just super cool to see it. Uh, And for this one, it was just being hyped, built up for all these years, and we finally got it. And it was... It's super cool. Uh, I will say, of these monster movies that came out in this universe, this is probably the one with the worst writing ever. (laughs) And the worst human story plot that just goes bonkers, makes no sense, you're not interested in, and half the time I'm like, get them off the screen. But what this film does deliver on is monster fights when the two actually meet oh my gosh it's super cool like it's not like a quick 30 second fight that they 
uh, move away from. They show the whole fight, you know, and like the winner at the end is like, ah, oh, it makes sense and it's just super cool. I saw this in theaters twice, and I just, <laughs> I was just excited throughout the entire time. The action of the monsters fighting is so cool and fun that you know it, it i can say i can i can ignore all the terrible writing acting and just storytelling just for the monster fights and that's what we wanted to see that's what we got i was not dissatisfied with the fight and it was pretty neat that we finally got to see this fight and some other stuff that happened in the film. And yeah, um, it's one that I was looking forward to a long time. I wasn't disappointed with the film. And uh, I really enjoyed it. That's great. Yeah, I think this is one that benefits from the theatrical experience. Um, I watched it at home on HBO Max and I didn't get the like, scope of it so i was more aware of the story problems um mm-hmm. than if i had seen it on the big screen where you get the big spectacle and the giant monsters fighting each other um but yeah i i i would say even though i didn't like it, it it's exactly what it says on the tin it's godzilla fighting kong um there there's more to it than just that but if you don't want to watch two giant monsters fight this isn't the movie for you if you do want to watch two giant monsters fight this is the movie for you (laughs) yeah i mean this was the movie it was exactly what i wanted to see plus things i didn't care about at all (laughs) which is exactly how you can describe this movie um i think the human subplot even though it's less interesting, they cut down on the cast compared to the last movie. Actually, the last few movies, which was better. Because, I mean, the the human characters are just exposition for the most part in these movies. It's all about the monster. Right. Before, those characters made sense. Now, it's just, how are they there? Why? I don't know. They're just there. Um, but, yeah. This was a movie. <laughs> what, really? Well, it was. Ask, are you Team Godzilla or Team Kong? Hey, I'm a I'm a Godzilla fan, you know? There's over 30-some movies of these films. I, I just love Godzilla. Kong, he doesn't have this many films and this many battles, and this kind of story stuff. So, yeah, of course I'm for Godzilla. <laughs> Cat? I don't know. <laughs> I haven't big seen, monkey like, or big lizard? <laughs> I haven't seen any Godzilla or Kong movies, so... <laughs> Off the top of your head. Uh... <laughs> I don't have an answer. Godzilla. That's great. Let's move on to number one. <laughs> oh, I, I need to say I'm Team Kong. Uh-huh. I, think, I think he's a big monkey, and that's cool. <laughs> Number one. Oh, are we doing honorable mentions first? Uh, sure. <laughs> Do you have any honorable mentions? I know Matthew does. Do you have any? Um, yes, I have two. 
Okay. So I, I have <laughs> I have Batman Soul of the Dragon, which is an animated movie, which is imagine like Batman if he was in like a a seventies kung fu spy movie. Inspired by the Bruce Lee and Jackie Chan stuff. Hmm. With Batman barely in it, just Bruce Wayne. <laughs> there you go. And my second one is uh, Justice Society World War II, which is another movie set in this rebirth uh, universe, which is neat, fine, it's okay. You know, it's, it's satisfactory, whatever. It's cool. And that's it. I I have, in no particular order, I do have movies that were very good but didn't quite make it onto my list. Um, First is Annette. It's the English language debut of, I believe I'm going to mispronounce it, um, Leo Carax, who's a very influential French filmmaker. Um, And this is a musical that is very weird and strange but then you realize at a certain point oh it's a musical movie that is trying to emulate the feeling of being in a theater and watching a movie or watching a live show um so so that was like a really weird and interesting movie um then i feel like we have to talk about one of the biggest movies of the year dune um it's only the first half of the story which is why it didn't make it onto my top five list, but it's still a very good adaptation of the first half. I love the book. I love the world. And so seeing it come alive on screen was awesome. Um, Nightmare Alley, the new Guillermo del Toro film. It's a noir, very dark, and has a lot of cool stuff about traveling carnivals. Takes place in, I believe, the 1930s. Um, and just has a lot of historical insight that I found interesting and then also Kate Blanchett as a femme fatale named um Dr. Lilith it's just perfect casting she plays the part perfectly um and then the French Dispatch the new Wes Anderson movie it's gotten a mixed reception but I actually really liked it it's an anthology film that's sort of meant to emulate the structure of a magazine it has three big stories and then like a prologue and a little travel section um, and an epilogue. And and it's just like each of the stories I thought was compelling on its own. And then together they're sort of saying something very profound about journalism and art. Um, And it's a love letter to journalists and sort of the long, artistic, meandering type of journalism that it explores um and then my last honorable mention is the last duel um i am biased towards this because it's based off of a book by an alumni of my alma mater but it's also just this fascinating story directly directed by ridley scott based on the last um trial by combat in france and it started out i wasn't so sure the first Two-thirds of the movie felt very, like, standard, um, medieval, dark film. But then in the last third of the movie, there's a twist that sort of reframes the entire narrative 
and actually makes you question the way history has been recorded and the voices that have been excluded from it in a very interesting way. How about you, Kat? Uh, I don't really have any honorable mentions. <laughs> I haven't seen a whole lot of movies, and so, yeah. Yes. Um, other stuff to say for honorable mentions, I, I guess, like, some Marvel movies that came out, like Black Widow, Shang-Chi, and The Internals. Um, I can't really speak on all of them, but they happened this year. Might as well just say that here. Uh, so, number one, let's go. Okay, so, as I alluded to before, my number one film of the year is The Matrix Resurrections. Um, I've been a huge Matrix fan since I was maybe 14 when I first saw it. And didn't love the sequels, but I've come around to them since then. And I was... I've also, I'm a huge fan of the Wachowskis and their work outside of the Matrix. Um, and th this is a the new Matrix film, even though it's a Matrix movie, it feels like it's building off of um, Lana Wachowski's work on Cloud Atlas or the Netflix show Sense8. It's using a lot of the same themes of love and humanism. Um, and then it's also bringing in this meta commentary on Hollywood and sequels and the process of creating art and then how that art gets reinterpreted. Um, and, and so it's like this very, as you can imagine from that description, a very like big movie that you need to see multiple times to start to understand all the layers to it. But I think it also works on just a pure emotional level. It makes you care a lot about sort of the central goal of the characters in the film um and has just a really emotionally satisfying ending that you know i didn't love the ending of the third matrix movie so to have this chance to like see the characters again and maybe give them a different ending um was just a lot of fun and yeah i've seen it four times in the last few weeks so i i loved it Yep. And I think, like, I feel like if you watch this movie just looking on surface level, you'll be like, eh, that's an okay movie. But as you start to dig deeper and you see all those layers in there, like, it just gets better and better the more you think about it. Yeah, and that, that's been true of all of the Wachowskis' work since the first Matrix is it takes people a while to turn around and understand what makes it great. Um, I, most recently, people have been sort of revisiting Speed Racer and realizing that, hey, this movie is actually doing a lot of interesting things. And I think, you know, 10 years from now, we're going to be talking about The Matrix Resurrections in that same vein of like, hey, this is a really interesting movie that's nothing like anything that has become come before or after. Mm -hmm. I said what I said. <laughs> yeah. And on the cat. So my number one is another documentary that I also saw in the same film festival. <laughs> and it's called The Velvet Queen. And this follows a photographer as he tries to take a picture of a snow leopard. And yeah, <laughs> that's the whole plot. <laughs> it's a How long is this film? Uh good question over an hour it's interesting a cinema so it takes its time but 
this is another thing where I feel like you should watch it in theaters if you can. Um, it takes its time and it really focuses on the beauty of the natural world, basically. So as he's trying to take a picture of a snow leopard, he's also taking pictures of all these other animals. And you see like the photographer they're following tries to capture the beauty of everything. And you see a lot of the pictures as they come on screen and it's really pretty. So I remember walking away from this film thinking, you know, nature is something we really need to try to protect because it's really beautiful. Yeah, the, it sounds like I, I've been wanting to see this ever since you saw it and recommended it to me. Um, if, you, if you've ever seen the making of the Planet Earth documentaries, they talk a lot about how, you know, you see it in the documentary. It's like this really cool scene of a tiger feeding on a gazelle or something. I don't actually, I don't think they live <laughs> in the same continent even. But anyway, you have, but then the actual process of it is, you know, a filmmaker went out and spent months trying to get this footage. Um, so so I think it's fascinating to have a an entire documentary that's just like, hey, let's follow this person as they try and get this extremely rare thing um, and, and sort of delving into that process and having the audience kind of sit there and think about sort of the world and yeah see see a different perspective than you would normally see mm -hmm. yeah because sometimes you'll see those shots in, in wildlife uh, documentaries and you kind of wonder so how did they get that like how long did it take them to do that and i, I guess this is an interesting thing thing if you're interested in that concept so, yeah yeah, I feel like the film speaks a lot about like patience and just really living in the moment and taking your time with things. So, really well, that, cool. That's cool for a movie that is a long, you know, it's a feature length documentary where not a lot is going on, but it's encouraging you to have patience with it. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I guess we move on to my number one. So my number one um, is a more recent film. And uh, it's Spider-Man No Way Home. Now, uh, I enjoyed this movie. I really like this movie. I don't think it's the greatest thing in the world. Um, I did a podcast on this movie right after I saw it, so you can go check it out. I talked about some nitpicks I had with it, but overall, I was satisfied with this film, minus a couple points. But, um, yeah, for me, this movie was just... It's made for people who just really love Spider-Man, specifically... The Spider-Man we've been seeing for the past 20 years. Um, yeah, like this film does pay homage to 20 years of Spider-Man films. Um, I won't go into the spoilers, but from what we see in the trailers, we, we see uh, actors returning to play characters. And it's like, for me, growing up with those films, it was just so exciting to see those characters back again and seeing how they could look in this uh more developed technology of course 
probably the biggest reason why this film has made so much money is, of course, nostalgia for the character. But even besides the nostalgia, the one thing I can really say about this film that I really appreciate is that this is probably the first solo Spider-Man film where I can I actually like Tom Holland as Spider-Man, where I actually look at him now and say, oh my gosh, he's now Spider-Man. I can clearly see it. Um, all the issues that I've had in his previous, you know, on-screen appearances are, you know, put on display in this film, they're pushed aside, and he becomes, like, a better Spider-Man. Uh, this is definitely Tom Holland's best performance in this film, for reasons, of course, that happened in the story. But this is definitely a film that's much more exciting if you watch in a group of theater, in a theater with a group of people who are very easily excitable. There's moments in this film that just make me so happy that can't be done without the years of watching these movies. And, um, yeah, I mean, of course there are issues with it. You know, it does have its problems. But they weren't big enough for me to not like this film. For me, this is my probably my favorite MCU film that if you just watched by itself, probably wouldn't make it that far up the list. But because of just 20 years of experience... It goes up that far for me personally. And um, I just love how the film ended with this being a very interesting take on this version of Spider-Man. How we have the Spider-Man in this his three trilogy movies here. But the thing that really intrigued me was that by the end of this film, it really felt like the past three movies were his origin story to finally becoming Spider-Man, which to me makes me excited to see Tom Holland again in future movies, which is interesting because I didn't really care for him in the past few ones. And so, yeah, this film did something that I, I'm happy to say it did. And I'm, I'm excited to see what happens in future movies with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I also watched this and I really liked it as well. Not quite as much as you, probably because I'm not, I'm more of a casual fan when it comes to Spider Man. Of course. I've seen all the previous Spider Man movies and stuff, but only like once or twice. Mm-hmm. And I actually liked uh, Tom Holland's portrayal of Spider Man just because I like the character and how easygoing and fun he is. But mm-hmm. I do realize that's not necessarily a good Spider Man. So, yeah, I really like this movie as well. There's a lot of good, like, character interactions and yes. like that. Yes. Yes. But don't think too deeply on it because I remember after the movie where we were debating on potential plot holes and stuff like that. There are plot holes. <laughs> there are big plot holes in this, um, which is a fault. Um, I, I mentioned this in the podcast. Go check that out. I, I, something that I called parody writing. That this film is a big issue that has where... Parody writing happens where you do like a parody video or some kind of bridge series based on something. And they parody a certain character based upon a specific character. And how the parody parody writing works is that instead of 
creating, you know, interesting dialogue. They'll they'll often just reuse the most famous lines to tell you that's what this character is, which is, you know, it's fine for like a parody. But for me, I had big issue with this film because it just seemed like lazy writing. But everything else they put into this film, I was fine with. And I could mostly forgive parody writing just because half of the other writing they did was very good, personally. Yeah, I think it's a really fun film to like watch and see and really good entertainment so <laughs> Matthew <laughs> yeah I I didn't dislike this and I think I need to rewatch it again with different expectations I think it was a there were a combo of reasons that kind of contributed to my reaction to the movie not being glowingly positive um right the spoilers online. Um, oh yes, oh yes. It just ruined the the spoilers. Definitely ruined any surprise in this film. Like going into this movie, I I knew everything about this film pretty much going into this film. Yeah, but even I though I was just excited to see it because like their ideas with the stuff they did was so like I just wanted to see it, and um, even though I wish I wasn't spoiled on it. It, it didn't really ruin my experience. Yeah, for me, unfortunately, it kind of ended up... Um, yeah. I felt like they didn't go beyond what was spoiled, unfortunately, and that's not necessarily the film's fault. No. Also, also the audience I saw it with was super low energy. Like, most yeah. people weren't getting laughs. So, so that, that, that happened my it, second viewing of the film. It wasn't exciting, so... And I wasn't emotionally invested because I already knew what was going to happen. Yeah. I kind of spent more time watching with a more critical eye. And so a lot of the plot holes, rather than just being like, oh, it's a plot hole, but I'm excited about the rest of the movie, so I'll ignore it. It kind of like took up my mind. And so I ended up, you know, even though, and I'll have to rewatch it eventually. Mm -hmm. Though I had a good enough time in the theater after I left the theater, I wasn't on the normal gotcha. Marvel high that I feel whenever I walk out of most other Marvel movies. E- even Black Widow did that for me this year, even though I think that is perhaps not as good of a film as No Way Home. Um, I walked out of that excited for what was going the next Marvel project, whereas with No Way Home, I kind of walked out feeling a little bit like, Okay, that was it. I, I I can see that, yes. Um, but yeah. This is one of the few films where throughout the entire film I had I had a big goofy grin. <laughs> and I like those kind of movies I enjoy so much when I could have a big grin. A stupid little grin. Just when watching a movie. Like, it doesn't happen all the time, but when it does happen, it's such a great feeling when you're just enjoying everything that happens. Um, but yeah, of course, the thing that really makes this film bigger is, of course, one, loving the characters, two, the experience of 
knowing the history of these specific versions and just and that and plus three the big audience and it'll be interesting to see how my thoughts in this film will change when it comes out on the small screen but for now i enjoyed it and i, I and i liked it it's my number one of the year yeah, and, you know, I enjoyed my time with it as well. I think I, I'm curious to see, you know, five years from now how we're talking about this, or if we're even talking about it. If yeah. It, it's kind of superseded by, and, and that's kind of been the Marvel formula is, well, we don't necessarily talk about what happened five films ago unless it's directly referenced, but, you know, there's always something new coming out. Um, yeah. So, so I'm I'm curious to see, but yeah, I I was um, not as glowingly positive walking out of the theater as a lot of people have been. Yeah, I mean, one other thing about this film that I just I I do really enjoy when films can do this is that it brought new appreciation for the older films, um, not just like the Toby one that everyone knows, but the Andrew ones, the ones yeah. that at the time when it came out wasn't. Uh, positively <laughs> praised but now years later people really enjoy those films and you know people are like oh my gosh they should do more from that universe to finish out that story which would be pretty neat so yeah we'll see where we go from here i'm excited for the future of spider-man and of course <clears throat> the multiverse and let's move on to our least photo of the year. Okay, yeah, this is the always the exciting part, and I like to start with the caveat of my least favorite film that I bring up here is very rarely the worst film I saw in terms of quality. Um, it's more just the most disappointing movie that I actually have thoughts on. Um, and for me this year... There, there were quite a few disappointments, but I think one of the biggest ones was Mortal Kombat. Mm. Um, and I, I'm not a Mortal Kombat fan. I played some of the games. Um, I, I played the story mode for Mortal Kombat 11. And going into it, I'm like, well, I've never played any of these before. How is this going to work? And then I actually found the story to that very emotionally compelling so I thought the idea of, oh, I'll go into this and maybe I'll actually enjoy it, even though I'm not a fan. And the first, I believe, 15 minutes, there's a prologue in this, are perfection. Yeah. Um, Some of the best, like, not only is there, like, great fight choreography. And there's um, some there's, issues with that as well, but. There, there's, like, some very human drama and, like, a mm. very clean story. And if the movie had ended there. It would have been perfect. <laughs> the rest of the film is a bit of a mess. Um, it is, yes. They, they chose the wrong actor to play the main character, and arguably the wrong main character. Of course. He's just not compelling in the role, unfortunately. Um, they, they have different actors who would have been, even in the film, playing different characters who would have been much more compelling to center the story on. Yeah. Um, and I mean, there there is some fun to be had. There's like it, the 
it's very over the top and sometimes very silly but Mm -hmm. you know just as it feels like it's hitting its stride you know there's this big fight scene and i'm like oh yeah i i could you know i'm ready for the third act the big battle this fight scene is setting that up pretty well and then the credits started rolling (laughs) yeah the movie was just kind of done it felt like in the middle of you know they're building up for this big tournament and then it never happens nope and it it was just so disappointing that um yeah the just such a it it could have been and you know they they were they had the potential to tell an interesting story they had some really great actors who were in the supporting roles and then they just kind of ended up dropping the ball um yeah, it it was a disappointing experience, particularly given how good the first ten, 15 minutes the prologue was. Yeah, and I believe they released the prologue before the movie came out. Yeah, I, I believe it was up on YouTube. Mm. So if you watched that as a short film, it would have been a really good yes. uh, movie. Yeah, but, and strangely, this is... um one of a few movies that came out this year that make the mistake of not having enough Hiroyuki Sonata in it. Um, he plays, I believe it's, oh, I have it right here. Scorpion. Scorpion? Yeah. The other, the other film is, of course, Army of the Dead. And, you know, he's such a compelling actor, and to give him nothing to do, um, yeah, it, it's a problem Hollywood frequently does with this particular actor. Um, yeah, who is very good and skilled in combat. Yeah. And, and he's just a very good dramatic actor. Yeah. But, but there's been, you know, a string of Mortal Kombat, Army of the Dead, Avengers Endgame, Light, the movie that no one saw and is probably too mediocre to be worth talking about. But yeah, it's, you know, Mortal Kombat just kind of continuing this tradition of like, getting a really good actor, a good Japanese actor, and then not using him for anything. Yeah. And, like, the entire film, I kept waiting for that character to reappear. And then he does at the very end, and it gets cool again. But then the film ends, and it's like, ah, okay. But it's rolled just as it's getting good again. It, it, it does. It does. Um, I, I enjoy this film. Like, it's very flawed, but it's like, I I watched this film, like, expecting it to not be (laughs) a good film. Like, oh, it's it's another video game movie, which have had so many issues in the past. But I went into this film, like, expecting to see, okay, let's see some cool fights. I was very surprised at how how... they brought in like some signature moves from the video game into real life and did it in an adequate way. But then, of course, the story, eh, the main character, you know, I, I kept waiting for something cool to happen with him, but no, his little bracelet turns into uh, a bland vest and a stick. And this is their main character, everyone. Everyone else gets gigantic robot arms, a laser eye, um, 
whatever that person got, I guess, green glow stuff. Um, and he gets a stick and a vest. Neat. And even, like, the perfect, like, the, the, the fantastic opening, the issues with the editing and how it's not showing you the brilliant choreography that's there is so frustrating because that is brilliant choreography. And they keep cutting and editing the heck out of it where it's just, ah, it's painful to watch. But it's not the worst movie that I've ever seen. And there are some bits you can enjoy from it that are semi-redeemable. Yeah, and again, I mean, there were films that I saw this year that were definitely lower quality. Um, but I can't talk about some of them because I've, you know, films so forgettable that I have nothing to say about them. <laughs> yeah, I don't even care about Mortal Kombat, but I saw this film and uh, it <laughs> it had some cool stuff in it and some eh, forgettable stuff. But yeah, it happened. Well, on to my least favorite of the year. Oh, yes. called Willy's Wonderland. (laughs) So this one, I was actually recommended to watch it by these guys so that Mm -hmm. they could talk about it. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, it made my least favorite. So um, it's almost as if Five Nights at Freddy's weren't... Well, it's a Five Nights at Freddy's kind of movie. Almost it feels like if it was an action cleaning sim horror movie. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, starring Nick Cage as a janitor who has no lines. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> yeah. It's a very entertaining movie. It is. Uh it's one where you have to go in expecting nothing great. And just know that it's a low budget film. And the director was, of course, intending to this, to, intending for this to look low budget, to the full extreme that it did. And it's, you know, I, I wasn't really intrigued when the trailer first came out, but then people were just talking about how ridiculously fun it is. And then I watched it, and I really enjoyed it. I I, I loved it. Nick Cage, so you can't have this film without Nick Cage. Um, you yeah. need that big star name, and he, of course, <laughs> does his Nick Cage wackiness. And it's just like the entire time you're like, what the heck is going on? Who is this guy? They don't give you answers. No, but yeah. it is but you're fine with that by the end. It's like, okay, I guess I don't need it. This was fun. Um, I don't really care about the side characters, but they played their role as tropes. And yeah, they were stuck in a horror movie, and Nick Cage was in an action cleaning sim, and it was yes. great. <laughs> yes. Um, yes. Um, one thing that I want to point out that the director really wanted to just invigorate is that this film had nothing to do with Five Nights at Freddy's. It wasn't inspired by it. The creator never really saw it. Um, and when he was explaining it, it made sense because it's really just copying the creepiness of Chuck E. Cheese and, and those style of restaurants. But because Five Nights became so popular, people just think it's Five Nights ripoff. 
Yeah, which, really the only similarities to Five Nights is that it takes place overnight and that there's animatronics. That's yes, a, that have souls. Oh, yeah. Matthew? Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I don't know that I have any more to add. Um, yeah, it's just a a weird kind of strange. It, it's a fun way to spend a Friday night. It is. Just grab your popcorn. Heck, grab a couple friends. Get drunk. <laughs> I wouldn't recommend you getting drunk, but I know for you who don't care about the alcohol, go ahead and do that and watch this film. It's a hoot. And I guess we'll go on to my least favorite of the film of the year. So um one that's not on my list here that I wanted to briefly talk about is of course Tom and Jerry, their New York live action film. I only watched ten minutes of this film. And I hated it. <laughs> Not for the Tom and Jerry, but for the human story. I just, oh, I couldn't get behind. It annoyed me so much. I, I couldn't follow the character or the main character or root for them. And because of that, I didn't want to continue to even watch this film. Because of that, I'm not putting this in my top. Because I never actually finished the film. So instead, I'm doing Space Jam 2 called Space Jam Legacy, I think. I don't know. But, yeah. Space Jam. Not a very brilliant film. So, of course, let's make a sequel to it. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, it, it happened. I don't hate it. <laughs> I don't hate it. But, like, it's not brilliant. It's very predictable. You know what's going to happen by the end. Um, the real main reason to watch this film is for the Easter eggs and cameos. Yeah. Which are very little. If you like Hanna-Barbera references, watch it. If you like Easter eggs from all of Warner Brothers properties, <laughs> watch it. Or just go on, go on YouTube and find clips. Um, other than that, if you like Bluetooth's characters, I guess you can watch it, even though I, they, you know, they're there. LeBron James. LeBron James. He, he acts. He does. He, he gives a performance. He gives a performance in basketball. Blind. <laughs> yes. And this was something that happened. And it happened. Yeah. Yeah, this was going to be my least favorite, but then I knew you were going to talk about it, so I thought I would bring up a different movie. And yeah, it's just a baffling, like, it, it's very clearly an advertisement yeah. for Warner Brothers. as just like, look at how much stuff we own. Mm. It's like Warner Brothers invited you over to his house and was like, hey... Want to see my room? Look at all my cool toys. Yeah. I made a movie out of that. And so it's, you know, it's it's fun to, like, watch the big basketball scene and, like, 
oh, there, there's Agent Smith from The Matrix. There's the nun from The Conjuring. There's the evil guy from The Clockwork Orange that is definitely too mature a character to be in this kid's movie. Yeah. Um, but But beyond that, you know, the story is... I guess a story. Things happen. You're supposed to feel some way about them. I didn't, but yeah, it's just kind of. And then I think I think the biggest thing that disappointed me is that you know the Lego Movie does a similar thing with just like referencing a ton of stuff, but the references are very intentional. You know, there's a reason that Batman is in there. And the characters are actually characters. Yeah. And, and, you know, Batman is in there for a thematic reason. He's in there because he's the exact opposite of the protagonist. So it like it adds drama here. You know, there's it's a it's a movie about an evil AI and it has Agent Smith in it and it never connects the two things. He's just an extra in the background. Uh, Agent Smith is just an extra in the background. So they don't even do the bare minimum of like connecting the references back to the movie they're making. They're just making references for the sake of making references. They are. And, and it, I don't know, it, it it was, you know, there there's a handful of good jokes. Um, one in particular had me laughing a specific cameo. Um, but, but it's... Oh, just, what, that, what, that yeah. one? Okay, yeah. yeah. But, but once it's done, like, there's nothing... It doesn't add anything no. to the world of cinema. It doesn't really add anything to any of the properties it uses. It doesn't really add anything to the Space Jam franchise. No, it doesn't. In it, fact, I like, think it detracts in some yeah, regards. That's just kind of a a lot of noise and characters you recognize. I guess, like, for me, the biggest thing I didn't really like about this film is that they chose Zendaya to voice uh, Babs. Babs Bunny? Babs? Uh, Isn't it Lola Bunny? Lola Bunny, yes. Lola Bunny. Um, Who, she does nothing with that character, really. And what's so disappointing is that all the other Looney Tunes are voiced by their actors who have been voicing those characters for like 10, 20 years, some even 30 years. And Lola Bunny's actress has been playing the character since her creation in Space Jam. And she is not even in this film voicing some random other characters. She just, she just got replaced by a big name celebrity just to get seats in the theater. Which... Really I, takes me off. This feels like Warner Brothers corporate product meant to make money and get people excited about. Partially self-aware as well, but not in a good way. Yeah, it, it is. And I've seen it compared to the new Matrix film. <laughs> and I think it's it's it makes Space Jam a new legacy look all the worse for how the new Matrix film uses its meta element. It bungles everything it has. Does it work? All right. And with that, 
I believe it's time to talk about our most anticipated movie of next year. Yes. Um, so I've gone back and forth on this. Um, mm-hmm. But right now, the trailer recently came out, and so it's been on my mind. And my most anticipated film of next year is The Northman, which is directed by Robert Eggers, who's done two previous films, The Witch and The Lighthouse. Um, Obviously has a theme with his titles, with The Northman now being his next film. And it's an adaptation of a Norse story, um, which I'm not familiar with the story, but it's just this, like, really interesting-looking sort of Viking saga about revenge and... It has an incredible cast. Um, you have, let me, Alexander Skarsgård as the lead, um, with Anya Taylor-Joy as sort of the co-lead. And then you have like a bunch of supporting characters. You have Nicole Kidman, Willem Dafoe, um, Ethan Hawke, Bjork, the Icelandic singer. Uh, just all all these interesting actors um and, and yeah it's a it's a sort of mid-sized budget medieval film which is not the kind of stuff that gets made anymore and it's directed by a filmmaker whose filmography is has some very interesting themes about like sort of masculinity and examining masculinity through a modern lens and looking back on these old tales and reevaluating them. Um, so yeah, that, that comes out in April, and I am very excited to see what what's in store. Cool. Uh, the one I'm looking forward to is an animated movie called Bell, or I, I don't, I think it's Bell, yeah. Um, by Mamoru Hosoda. So this is an anime movie, and I've really liked his previous works. So he's done The Girl Who Leapt Through Time, Summer Wars, Wolf Children, The Boy and the Beast. Those are like the main ones. And he really does a good job focusing on characters and emotions and things like that, um, and does some commentary on stuff too. Uh, This most recent film, I, I saw the trailer for it. It seems to talk about, so the main character is you know just an average girl or maybe below average girl but online she becomes a super famous celebrity so kind of figuring out things like that and commenting on social media and things like that seems to be what it is about so i'm really looking forward to it if it's as good as the other films i know i'll like it yeah this is the animation if you haven't seen the trailer yet is incredible um yeah i'm I've seen a bit about this one, and I'm also looking forward to it. It's sort of really great animation and some interesting themes. Yeah. Looking into this next year, there wasn't really one film that stood out to me as like the one I'm looking forward to the most. Um, there are a lot of films that I'm interested to see. Um I mean, this next year is going to be a big year for the DC Universe with all their films that they're doing. Because we got the new Batman movie, we've got Aquaman, uh, Black Adam, 
uh, in the Flash and whatever other thing they're doing animation wise. And of course, Marvel, we got Doctor Strange and, and also believe Thor, Love and Thunder. Um, but yeah, this next year specifically is going to be a year of the multiverse because everyone is doing the multiverse at this point. There, we have three films dedicated to the multiverse. Doctor Strange, uh, the new Spider-Verse movie, and of course, the movie that I'm choosing for my most anticipated for, the, for this next year is The Flash. Um, mainly because Ezra Miller's Flash is one that we haven't really seen a lot of. He's just in the Justice League movie, not really seen anywhere else. And so this is his first alone movie, but they're doing a Flashpoint slash multiverse film where they're bringing back Tim Burton, Tim Burton, Michael Keaton's Batman, which I'm excited to see. Um, so I'm curious to see what other universes they're going to do, what actors are playing more characters, or even if they're doing more cameos. So we'll see. I'm not expecting this to be a great film, but I'm I'm excited just to see some actors returning to some roles. So, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting that sort of the multiverse has become a big storytelling device in all of these big franchises. And then there's also... um other films dealing with this um there's an indie film coming out called everything everywhere all at once which is also a multiverse story and it's interesting to have this like niche idea that started or i guess i don't know exactly where it started but it kind of got popularized in comic books that's now becoming like a mainstream idea i mean the multiverse is always like a a, a cartoon thing that they've always done but um Especially in recent years, this past half a decade, they've really been pushing the multiverse. Really, specifically, first got big with the CW Arrowverse shows, which isn't great, but it did it. And now everyone else is doing it, which (laughs) is interesting to see how it's going to work out. So... Yes. Yep. I just feel like it's going to start escalating a whole lot, so we'll see how much I like it. But <laughs> yes. Yeah, well, so we'll see what happens. Because like after old multiverse, what do you do next? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, then you get rid of the whole world that you built and jump to a different universe and start over. That's exactly what Arrowverse did. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Any final thoughts as we close this episode? Yeah, great, great year for movies. Um, check out if anything we talked about sounds great. If you have any films that you disagreed on us, or if you want to share your own top five, um, the, this will be all over the place. But you can, you know, on YouTube, you can leave a comment. Send um, a message. Send a message, yeah. Let, let us know if you disagree with our opinions or... If Let us know what you're excited for. Yeah. Well, we'll have to see next year if our most anticipated end up on our top five. <laughs> probably. <laughs> probably. Probably for me. Well, least. John, how many did you mention again? <laughs> uh, 
What? At least five. There, <laughs> <laughs> so you already have the list made for next podcast. We're all good then. Yeah, let's, yeah, let's just we're all good. Oh, <laughs> yeah, let's record it right now. All right. Thank you guys for watching and listening, and we'll see you all next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.